welcome to the seventh of our real estate bite-sized webinar series. As a firm, Travis Smith has long been considering the impact of sustainability on asset management, and nowhere is this more pertinent than for the real estate sector. With the 2021 UN Climate Change Conference called COP26 due to take place in Glasgow this November, there is an increased impetus with this sector to grapple with sustainability, what it means and how to implement it across the large property portfolios with varied asset types. For the last 10 years, buildings have been increasingly assessed according to their efficiency. Today, we are considering the issue of heat, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Senior Counsel John Buttonshaw, specialist and expert in, amongst other things, environmental laws, regulation, and the development of sustainable infrastructure in particular. John, you work in an area which is continually and often rapidly changing, right at the sharp edge of the collective focus of governments, industry, public interest. Before we delve into the specifics of heat, I'd be interested to hear just at a very high level where you think the market currently is in terms of the interrelationship between ESG investment principles on the one hand and the evolution of law and regulation on the other. When we scoped out this session together, you referred me to the government's forthcoming heat and building strategy. Do you think taking everything together that we're now emerging into a market that is led more by regulation rather than investor objectives or rather to actually indivisible uh, yeah well that's that's the critical question which sort of lies at the heart of esg and i think we're going to see it play out over the next few years in a, in a particular arena of heat and um, i think there's no doubt we need a bit more of both um investor objectives um have i think set a lot of the agenda for heat to date and we might see a bigger regulatory push to help investors mm -hmm. Sort of shape those objectives and sort of and um, see how to, the long-term returns they need to finance sustainable heat um, and that's where i think the government's heat and building strategy i think is absolutely going to be critical to setting that agenda um, and saying to investors look this is how we see it working this is the long-term future this is the right how the regulatory framework is going to develop and give everyone the confidence to do what they want what we want to do which is yeah. develop proper sustainable heat for buildings and you know i think the money is there to be spent if if people can be confident enough on the returns and um, so it's critical and i think partly for that reason i think government knows it's critical it's got this wrong a few times in the past and we'll come on to that later and um, but i think because it's knows it's critical it wants to get it right and we've seen this strategy delayed yeah, or strategies are always delayed but this has been i think particularly frustrating for industry it's been years now it's been waited for people were very very confident it was definitely coming out in july and that was all the noises and then where it is there was some serious last minute debates within Whitehall about some very fundamental issues about how to incentivize people to mm -hmm. take up stable heat and again we'll, we'll come back to that so it got delayed but there is significant government momentum to getting this done there is no doubt that heat is going to be one of the arguably the critical challenge to unlocking the road to net zero from the UK perspective we're kind of in an awful sweet spot if you like countries which are warmer than us obviously you know for obvious reasons don't have such a heat demand mm -hmm. countries that are colder than us you know they're further along the road for, for that reason so if you go to scandinavia district heat networks are just all over the place there they've had them for decades and um, so they're much better set up to move sustainable heating whereas here you know we've built our whole infrastructure of keeping ourselves warm in some fairly cold winters using fossil fuel and often distributed amongst houses rather than centralized and so that's a difficult network to transform as a difficult mindset and legal and finance structures to set up to create new ones and 
therefore the strategy I think is eagerly awaited to sort of help people shape how to do that going forward. So interesting and I mean, it just couldn't be more topical at the moment could it and how yes. it's going to impact people in their pocket. Um, I think we must clarify in this session we're going to be thinking about the approach to heat in relation to new developments principally. Um, I mean you've touched there on a, a, a legacy um, existing infrastructure network which you know goodness knows what we're going to do with all <laughs> that um, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort of take what we can in this session and, and focus on the new development. So I guess if we turn to that to the topic of the day um, and existing landscape when it comes to heat. So you've touched a bit there on the new strategy. I know that there are existing regulatory incentives and drivers to push developers towards renewable heat sources. Could you take us through some of those? Yeah, of course. It's, it's been a little bit of a crude carrot and stick from government so far. So there is maybe a slightly badly forward of a shape and carrot, um, particularly for new build at domestic level in the form of the renewable heat incentive. Mm. Um, and so that's been around for well over a decade. And unfortunately, it's just been brought to an end by government and, and government is now thinking, well, what do we want to replace it with? That brings back to the strategy. Um, but to date, the renewable heat incentive, it, it, it's essentially it paid out a subsidy, you know, pence for every unit of useful heat that you produce from a renewable source. And that might be a heat pump. It might be a biomass boiler. It might be something else. Um, but if you're producing heat in the right way um, and you're eligible in various ways, then you could qualify for support. And that has been reasonably successful in encouraging renewable heat developments in relation to sort of commercial industrial sites. And um, so if you've got big industrial units which need a lot of heat, um, then the RHI made it much more attractive for someone to turn up and build a plant to heat them. Um, and often that would be a plant which also produced electricity, and that electricity may completely separately benefit from green subsidies. So it was quite a you know, potentially lucrative and set up for investors and the RHI gave you know if you're in it you get about 20 years of support so you could kind of raise finance um, on mm. that because everyone knew we don't know what price of heat's going to do but we know there's a continual regulatory subsidy there so it was successful there it was less successful well it was completely not successful by design for new build housing developments and um, so there's two versions there's a non-domestic for your big industrial and there's domestic for individual householders and so individual householders like you and i could install a little biomass boiler on our house and great and we go and get it um but developers who develop whole sort of new housing stock they couldn't claim rhi so it's just up to them if they wanted thought it was a good idea to install a sustainable heating source and if they thought that might help sell houses and it was all kind of left to the market to do that but mm -hmm. government thought we're not going to be subsidizing developers who I think in government's mind are making such huge margins which we all know is <laughs> it's not necessarily the case um, but government thought no that it's up to them to, to, to fund their own heating but individual homeowners who are retrofitting will, will help them out um, so new build was sort of left in the chasm and there are other issues with the RHI primarily and it's, it's a difficulty with heat how do you measure what is good heat mm -hmm. um, and one of the nightmare scenarios is you subsidize and incentivize someone to build a renewable heat plant and the heat just starts spilling out into the environment and um, because it's never in anyone's interest just to waste energy even if it's sort of green energy um, and so the RHI never fully solved that problem either so there are technical issues as well um, but that was really you know there's other bits and pieces and grants and subsidies but there wasn't really much more of a carrot to, to, to promote renewable heat really at a fund, particularly at a sort of industrial commercial level um, and a new build level. There's more of a stick, you know, if you want to make progress building mm. something, then you're going to have to 
go a bit more green um, and that's introduced through the planning regime um, so increasingly as you'd expect and as any developer will be familiar with if you want to get consent for something you're going to have to convince the local authority that this is an okay thing to build and better a positive thing to build on a number of environmental fronts and your heat strategy will be one of those ones that increasingly they're going to be scrutinizing um, and thinking is this going to be heated in a, in a sensible way for our future um, and that again we touch on this later that that's been fraught with difficulties um, it's it's a bit of a mismatch between a developer who has a very fixed well financial model and a very fixed idea of what technologically is achievable and sensible versus the local authority who may be coming at this from a different angle and maybe slightly constrained by local plans, slightly constrained by local circumstances um, and getting the two matched when both parties want to build something and don't want it to fall over on heat has been incredibly difficult and not always produced terribly positive results. So to date, we're left with a sort of unsatisfactory picture, really. If you want to develop sustainable heat in a building, it's it's a difficult area and it's right now it's probably more difficult than it's ever been really um, to, to, to decide how, how should I heat my building. Sounds like a complete patchwork and also at the in the context of sort of uncertainty around the technology as well and things move so quickly and lack of understanding at local authority level about the technology and, and I think we'll come on to some of that. So if we look, I mean, forward and talking about uncertainty, we're not exactly sure what the government is going to want to encourage on new developments. Um, I mean, I imagine in part that's due to that very point about evolving um, technology and you know that makes committing to regulation legislation um, extremely challenging because we don't know you might commit to a certain incentive at the moment and then actually two years down the line something new comes to market that would change the way that you you thought about that so it's a difficult one but if you were to summarize um, the key direction of travel I suppose in which we can be fairly certain that government is likely to go where where would you see that to be? Well, where government has been reasonably clear in, in recent years to date is that it's going to, you know, as with everything low carbon, it targets the low hanging fruit first. So, you know, the easy wins. And although it sounds hard, kind of making the grid more green is an easy win, for example. And, it's, it's, you know, when you're developing new stuff, that's that's quite straightforward. Um, and similarly with housing, you know, new stock is the easy win. And the existing infrastructure is is the hard piece. But, you know, we're reasonably clear where they're going on new stuff. Um, and to the point that they've consulted heavily and it's pretty clear that from 2025 changes, changes to building regulations will say if you want to build a new house then there can't be a gas boiler in it it's not going to be a fossil fuel boiler anymore for a new stock and that's yeah that seems nice and clear and um, in some ways that's the easy bit the government sets that target and says that's that is what it is industry go and figure out how to do that mm -hmm. um and that's kind of been what it's done absent the strategy it's kind of said industry go and figure out how to do that um it is consulting in fairness and everyone's trying to scratch around to think well well what is the, the solution and um, government said well it needs to be low carbon so but we're not going to define what low carbon is and we're not going to constrain you on what a low carbon solution is and that's that's quite difficult for industry to come up with and say well what is low carbon and what is going to work and what can i finance and what won't be a dead duck piece of technology in 10 years um, and you know it sounds simple what's low carbon but let's take an example um, a district heating network you know that gives you economies of scale which are going to mean it's just de facto lower mm -hmm. carbon than a individual gas boiler in everyone's house even if that um, CH, that district heating is ultimately powered by a gas source a gas fired CHP 
Um, so it's vastly lower carbon, arguably, than the alternative of gas boilers in houses, um, albeit it's fossil fuel powered. It's also potentially quite a sustainable long-term solution because arguably you could quite easily retrofit your district heating network because it's got one big central source of power. And you could retrofit that to something renewable. Potentially, if hydrogen, another little uh, nugget which we're going to come back to, but if, if hydrogen proves to be the great panacea to all our, all our worries on heat, um, possibly retrofitting a gas-fired system to a hydrogen-fired system could be quite straightforward. So maybe a gas-fired CHP, if it's too expensive and difficult for anyone to conceive of doing a renewable-powered CHP at this stage, maybe that's a very good carbon decision to make. Um, but we've got no clarity on that now, and it's only four years away, and you know how investment cycles work. We kind of need clarity right now um, as to yeah. whether that's going to be a sensible carbon decision to make. Um, and I mentioned hydrogen, you know, and we'll come back to it, but that's a new technology. Um, do um, developers start putting their chips in that basket and saying, well, let's develop something which looks a little bit like a fossil fuel structure because hydrogen will come along. Well, it's, we're years away from knowing okay. if that's going to work. Um, <laughs> and then there's heat pumps. Um, and that's another one that we know government likes, heat pumps, this idea of taking heat either from the ground or the air um, and using that to heat homes, um, which is, again, the technology is there. It operates in many people's home right now. We don't know quite well enough how, how well it will scale, and it's not perfect by any means. Um, for a heat pump to work, first you need a lot of electricity, um, and whilst the grid is fairly green, it's not yet green. The grid mm -hmm. is powered by, in part, by gas, even a small part by coal still. Um, so using lots of electricity is, is not ideal. Um, if governments you know, current aim is by 2035, the grid should be fully green. So, so then that might be less of a concern if we get there. But you've got electric cars coming online. You've got all sorts of other demands on the grid. Um, so, you know, heat pumps have, have that problem. And they also have the problem that certainly as things stand from a technology perspective, they don't get very hot and um, not like a gas boiler does, which means you need a very different infrastructure to distribute their heat. So in my old Victorian house, my radiators getting mildly warm from a heat pump won't work. I need a, an insulated house, but I also need under heating. You know, I need I need lots of surface area bringing this kind of lower level heat in rather than my raging gas boiler, which gets the boiling in my old radiator. Um, so there is a clear direction of travel. Let's have nice green homes in 2025. There is not clear. Well, what what does Absolutely. nice green homes going to be heated by? I think maybe we flexibility is something we've sort of thought about. And that, when I listen to you speaking there, it, it sort of, I mean, it's the impossible task, but it's essentially saying to developers, in some way, keep your option op options open as much as you can. And I think if we just pick up on flexibility a bit, and that's a theme, the real estate sector obviously talks a lot at the moment about what it calls robust buildings. And in this context, what they mean is buildings that can adapt to future regulatory needs essentially to protect against the risk of falling valuations if a building or a development can't keep up with the legal, social or technological changes as, you, as you've indicated for us. Um, but when it comes to the heat source, this, this feels a bit like investor speak really that doesn't quite match reality. While systems you know, can evidently be upgraded when it comes to that fundamental decision on how a heat, on how to heat a building or development, presumably you're pretty committed to your original decision. Yes, it, it, to, to a large extent. I think another thing which government, you know, not just in this area, I think lots of areas could do better at understanding and building into these things is when that original decision is made. 
And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think, you know, we all know what the planning application process is, but actually decisions are made in many ways, long times before that and investment yeah. funding decisions. Um, and so there's a decision made on, you know, how a project looks and then suddenly two, three, four years down the line there's a big regulatory or a big technological change. Um, and it's very difficult to rewrite plans then. And obviously once you're into the development stage to, to do things again um, mm -hmm. and predicting the future that far in advance is, is equally difficult. Going, oh, look, you, you could build out your development app to be ready for every type of heat source you could do. Is that technically feasible? Possibly not. Is that going to be economically feasible? Probably not. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to make your margins work if you've got if you're putting all your chips on each horse, um, so to speak. So there's there's some things developers can do, and some things they're required to do. So again, changes to building regulations will be requiring them to make houses more future carbon ready in, in, in a more wide sense. So I referred to heat pumps needing sort of larger surface area heating in houses. So they should be doing that. They should be sort of saying, well, even if my house is going to be boiler, if it's going to be a district heat network, whatever, within the home, there's going to be a different, more sort of flexible heating system around the house. And there's things you can do that. But again, it's more expensive. Um, and so, you know, someone's got to pay for that. Yeah, ultimately, it'll be in the case of homes, homeowners. Um, who ultimately foot that bill and asking homeowners to pay for something which may not work, you know, is is that good policy? Um, it, it's difficult. Um, and then you get into the more fundamental kind of retrofits where you're saying we're moving from an in-home heating system, be it heat pump or whatever, which sort of operates and heats within that bubble of the home to actually it may well be the only scalable solution, at least for you know major developments, is some kind of externalized heat pump type system. Um, and again, there's an uh, intent by government to try and keep buildings flexible to that. So if you try and get planning consent for a major development in, in many urban centers, including London, if you might have a nice sustainable you know biomass fired um, heating solution, which which they like, but they're still probably going to say you also need to be ready to connect to a district heat network if it comes out. Um, and I think to you know, governments and planners' minds, that's straightforward. It just means just leave a big pipe, which, which the heat can connect into. But commercially, it's much more difficult because um, the infrastructure within the building needs to be very different. There's way leaves, there's land rights, there's getting heat across, um, and then there's changing a, a configuration across the whole development and if if someone if a developer is developing a big multi-use multi-occupation multi-parceled land site that's a complex thing that's spinning all that off in a few years and in 10 years time district heat network turns up in town just how you retrofit that technically but also to your legal structures and get that funded and get everyone together and and build out across what is now a very different legal site and different yeah. title and different holders and different parties is is incredibly complex um and it's just these kind of vague obligations to be ready for the future. It, it makes makes it very difficult to develop right now. Let's pick up on that because actually I think what I'm hearing is that if there's a fundamental issue here, probably with a lack of understanding of the technology of quite how complex getting initiatives such as district heating systems are actually, you know, to get them off the ground. It's, you know, it, it means often it's easier to probably in some ways, um, is it easier for local authorities to permit schemes that are actually slightly less prescriptive, so they are putting that full risk over onto the developer, but you know, surely we need we need some collective understanding of what this what this is actually what this is actually meaning. Otherwise, 
you know, in some ways we're getting schemes consented that are not as good as they could be. We're getting other schemes consented that are just actually a bit of an impossible ask. Yeah. Where, where do you see that coming coming through? Yeah, and it, it affects both sides of the coin. It affects developers, but it, it affects renewable heat developers, in particular district heating network developers, and this this lack of clarity. Yeah, it's very, it, the local authorities in a very difficult position. Um, you know, the, there isn't clarity on a national level. And again, you know, we keep going back to it. Can't wait for that strategy. You know, hopefully that's going to be our, our blaze of glory and we'll all know what we're shooting towards. But at the moment, there is a bit of a sort of absence of clear direction. You know, that we know, all know we want good, clean heat, but there's a bit of a lack of direction um, from, from central government on this. And local authorities are sort of left to sort of come up with their strategies. Um, and then there's just, you know, they just don't, aren't given the resource necessarily. So whilst developers may have, you know, will be equipped with some serious district heating, heating specialists from, you know, internationally renowned consultancies. The local authority doesn't get that level of, of expertise. So they're coming at it from from a difficult position. Um, but they they want, a, you know, they're aiming for the right thing, which is a good sustainable heat outcome. Um, and with that mismatch, you know, the, the obvious solution is is what I referred to earlier, which is say, well, we'll make your building district heat ready. To, to again dwell on the district heating um, scenario, just be ready for when it comes along. And that's fraught with difficulty. And the developer then, you know, and this conversation happens an incredible number of times, will turn around and say, I can't write a blank, blank check. I can't mm -hmm. finance this if if you're saying I, I have to be district heat ready. And usually local authorities say more than that. They say, we want you to be ready and we want you to try and connect if something comes along. Um, and developers say, I can't write that blank check. So mm -hmm. developers will insist on a car which says, look, we'll do it if it's feasible, um, economically sensible and technically sensible. Um, and you can't really, it's hard to argue against that yeah. because you can't you can't get things built if you're asking people to do things which aren't economically or technically possible. <laughs> but on the other side of things, the fence is you have these developments coming along with those obligations in, and then you have the district heat network developer coming up and they want to build out a district heat network. And that's an incredibly expensive thing to do in a country which isn't set up for it. And they need tons of way leave rights, tons of land rights, you know, they've got to go all that. It's going to cost them an extraordinary amount of money to lay out the network. So what they need to be is absolutely certain that there's going to be demand and absolutely certain they'll get land access rights to be able to actually build this thing up to buildings. Um, and they look at these, what they'll do is they'll look at all the planning agreements and they'll go, oh great, look, everyone who's built a big new office block in this lovely street is all committed to try and use district heat networks. But then they see all the carve-outs and they say, well, only if it's technically feasible, only if it's not economically feasible. Um, and they're like, well, we're not gonna be able to get anyone to connect because uh, you know, there's some upfront costs here that no one's gonna want to fund. Um, and so both parties are left in this sort of cloud of uncertainty. The original chicken and egg, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is very chicken and egg. And that's where, you know, that's where you need a bit more. That's where the government's idea of, you know, purely leaving this market is quite difficult um, yeah. because there's a big leap of investment and technological certainty here. And yeah. that is currently into an unknown. Um, and in Scotland, they've been trying to address this. So in Scotland, they passed the Heat Networks Bill. Um, and I think people's sort of reaction to regulation, I'd say this is a regulatory lawyer, but they go, oh, regulation's a bad thing. It's going to make it, you know, red tape more difficult. Um, the Heat Networks Bill regulated heat network operators. Um, so to develop a heat network, you need a license and you need to fulfill certain criteria, which isn't the case in England. You know, you don't need to be licensed, unlike for electricity, gas, water. For heat, you don't need to be licensed. Um, but Scotland said you need to be licensed. But the, the quid pro quo of that is we'll give you a whole bunch of powers like electricity people have. Um, or a water undertaker has, will we'll give you powers to demand way leaves, demand access rights, 
will give you the power to roll up to people's doors and giving you a much better chance of getting across Mm -hmm. that demand um, and be able to spread costs amongst a lot more people because you can go up to all that door and make it hard for them to refuse. Um, It doesn't get you all the way there. In Scotland, they thought long and hard, do we also include an obligation on anyone who's being passed by district heat networking um, to enter into an agreement to get heat off them? Um, But that's a bridge too far. You know, that is cutting across, you know, how do you force two parties into a deal? You know, that's cutting across sort of the free market, fundamental freedom to contract type thing. So that that was a step too far. But they've tried to say, let's make it as easy as possible and and give as much certainty to everyone that the future is a district heating network. Interesting. So, well, our government is obviously promising to release this long awaited heat and building strategy um, in the near future um, for new homes. So what do you think that in light of that, what do we expect that it's going to cover? Well, there's some things we know it will cover. Government's sort of, you know, higher level, more general sort of statement, you know, the 10 point plan for a green economy more generally, you know, it did touch on heat and a couple of things, you know, points to be expanded on in, in the heat strategy. Um, so it was clear in that plan that on uh, heat pumps, again, were a big part of how it saw the future of heat. Um, and it sets out a target, actually, for 600,000 heat pumps to be installed by 2028. We're currently installing about 30,000 a year. So they need to over double their pace um, to, to get there. So you at least expect some very concrete measures on how to double the uptake in heat pumps. Um, or more in a very short space of time. And that will be helping you know, the industry and developers of that technology, but it will also, there will be almost certainly some form of subsidy incentive to homeowners um, to install these things. Um, a clean heat grant um, saying, you know, it could be between four or 7,000 pounds to a homeowner of existing stock to, to retrofit it. Um, now, that apparently is, I think, been one of the key delays. There is a lot of a lot of debate about that, and I think it might be fiscal as much as anything else. Um, it's not clear how those type of incentives will play out for new builds. So again, it might be that developers are expected to foot the cost of that, which again ultimately means homeowners. Um, so that it remains to be seen. Um, hydrogen. Mm-hmm. I mentioned hydrogen. You know, hydrogen is a great unknown, might solve the transport sector, might solve the heat sector. Can we roll out green hydrogen? Uh, can we produce energy from water fundamentally? Um, and we don't know that yet. So I suspect we'll see more pilot schemes, more funding of research and development and scaling up to see can can we get hydrogen? And, you know, feasibly we could use our existing fossil fuel grid for hydrogen. You know, it could be it could be the absolute solution to everything. We just don't know. So there'll be, there'll be more on that. Um, I suspect there will be a, a lot of policy flim-flam, a lot of general discussion. Again, I think government, it's worth emphasizing, they're incredibly nervous about very specific regimes in this area because the track record has been so awful. So, you know, I remember back in 2006, the Labour government saying zero carbon homes, that's our key policy. Um, and they're all going to be zero carbon by 2016. And we're five years later and we're still discussing how on earth are we going to get to zero carbon homes by 2025 um, just for new homes. Um, and yes, so that fell apart. And then you've got the Green Deal, the clean a Green Homes Grant, you know, a series of ones which fell apart. Usually, you know, some of it was fiscal reasons. Some of it was, you know, a consistent one has been poor communication, particularly to anything which is directed at homeowners um, and 
indeed the ongoing industry confusion as to what government intends here. So I think they're being very cautious and that's why it's delayed. Um, and I think we may see a, maybe a less concrete set of proposals partly for that reason than, than we might ideally like. Very interesting. And obviously this is in the context of homes and new homes. Do you think we're likely to see a similar something similar rolled out for commercial buildings? Can we make any projections on, on that side? Yeah, and that's where we're at the absolute, you know, my, my, my projection is uncertainty. Um, we've got a bit of a policy void um, with the RHI ending. Mm -hmm. um, we know there's going to be subsidies for individual homeowners, probably just existing, possibly new. Um, there's a lot of thought and direction going that way. Industrial and commercial buildings are being left in a little bit of a void. Now, district heating could be a big, big part of that. But to date, the English government, the Scottish government, as I say, has been very much on the fence about whether it wants to intervene in district heating and take a very hands-on regulatory approach. Um, I suspect we'll at least get some clues on that out of the heating strategy. But I fear commercial developers may still be left in a slight bind when it comes out. So interesting. John, thank you so much for taking us through this. I mean, it is an incredibly topical area at the moment. Um, I found it extremely eye-opening and I know that our listeners will have, will have done too. So thank, thank you again. Um, I think really uh, often I do a bit of a, a, a sort of closing summary, but I think in this case I'm going to pass over to you. Um, have you got any sort of closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, well, I think we're at, and this sounds dramatic and terrifying, but we're almost at an absolute peak here of legal and technological uncertainty. And um, I guess the good news about being a peak is it's it's downhill from here. But the technological solutions, hydrogen distributing, all, all of these, we're understanding them better, but we don't fully, we're not fully there. Um, and the legal uncertainty, you know, are we going to regulate to heating? What kind of grant subsidies are going to come out for the next decade? We just don't know. Um, so I think we're at that absolute peak. I think industry is clamoring for answers now to be able to set up the projects from 2025 onwards in the right way. And um, I think heating strategy will give us a bit of light there, but not a lot. But as ever, where there's huge challenges, there's huge opportunities. Um, so I think people who engage proactively with the issues and who engage proactively with the communities and particularly local planning authorities and, and end users of developments as well for you know what they want in the future. I think you know there is a path through all of this but right now I think it, it requires hard deep thought and hopefully a bit of a bit of help from government as to how this should work. So interesting thank you very much. Oh with pleasure thanks.